It was nighttime when Nicodemus came to visit Jesus. I've said many times that this was the original episode of Nick at Night. (laughs) But it wasn't a comedy or a children's cartoon when Nicodemus came to Jesus. It was darkness. I don't think it was just incidental that Nicodemus visited Jesus at night. John probably doesn't just throw this detail in there for nothing. I'm sure it happened this way, but I'm thinking John mentions that to get our minds making the connections. For example, to his prologue. Remember chapter 1? That preview trailer of the movie that told us what we were about to see in this gospel? John told us that the Word, Jesus, was the light of men. Do you remember that? And then what did he say? The light shines in the but the darkness has not understood it. Nicodemus came in the darkness. Now, he might have come out of fear of being seen. Perhaps he was afraid of what other people would think of him for talking to Jesus. It doesn't say that. Perhaps he didn't even come alone. We aren't told if he had anybody with him. There certainly were others present, like John, who recorded this conversation for sharing later on. Perhaps Nick came at night so that they had the whole evening to talk. I like an evening meeting where you have a little bit more time. You don't have to get on to the next thing in the next hour. We don't know. But we do know that he came at night. And almost every time that word night appears in this book, the Gospel of John, it is highlighting the evil and falsehood of the darkness and the contrasting goodness and truth of the light. Regardless of when he came, I'm glad that he came to see Jesus. Because through this encounter, we are given some wonderful, mysterious truth that thrills our hearts and changes our lives today and forever. Because in this story, Jesus tells us over and over again, you must be born again. You must be born again. This is the passage in Scripture that gives us that oft-repeated phrase. Have you ever heard someone say that they are born again? It's probably been overused and mangled and manhandled into meaning all kinds of things that are different from what Jesus is talking about here. But Jesus says it. They're Jesus' words, and he meant it for all of us with no exceptions. You must be born again. Let's see how he gets there. Let's start in the first verse, verse 1. If you remember, last week's chapter 2 ended by saying that many people saw the miraculous signs that Jesus was doing at the Passover feast, where he'd been zealously cleansing house in the temple. And many of them had believed in him, at least superficially. But Jesus did not believe in them. He could read their hearts and know that they really didn't get yet who he really was. So he pulled back. Chapter 2, verse 25, ended by saying, he knew what was in a man. Well, this very next verse says, now there was a man. He can see his heart. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God For no one could perform the miraculous signs you're doing if God were not with him. 
Now that kind of sounds pretty good. But Jesus is not impressed. He knows what's in Nicodemus's heart. It seems like Nicodemus might be trying to butter Jesus up, doesn't it? Does it kind of feel like that a little bit? He comes to Jesus instead of requesting Jesus come to him. And he uses a bunch of words to honor Jesus, even though Nicodemus was an elite ruler himself. See, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. So he was a member of that religious group that was so focused on rule-keeping. They were focused on attaining and maintaining holiness through scrupulously observing the Jewish traditions, following the law, at least on the outside, plus following all of the various traditions around the law. That was the Pharisees, but he wasn't just a Pharisee. Nicodemus was also a ruler. Nicodemus was a member of the Jewish ruling council, a select group of men who had political power in Israel under Rome. Nicodemus was a somebody. He himself was a rabbi. He was a teacher. We might think of him kind of like a clergyman, like so he's Reverend Nicodemus, maybe even a professor in a seminary. And at the same time, he was a congressman or a senator, all wrapped up into one. And he came to Jesus at nighttime and says that he and his compatriots know that Jesus is from God. Rabbi, we know. You're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs. That's the same word, semeon, that we saw the last two weeks. The signs you were doing if God were not with him. Okay, so it sounds kind of good, but it kind of sounds like buttering up. What What is really wrong with what he says? Is that who Jesus is? Is that who we have found Jesus to be so far In the Gospel of John, is Jesus merely a great heaven-sent teacher from God? He is a great heaven-sent teacher from God. Praise God for Jesus' teaching. But what did Jesus say when he was tossing tables in the temple? Get these out of here. How dare you? Turn what? My, My father's house into a market. He's not just a teacher. Nicodemus' mind is clothed with darkness. He's missing Jesus' true identity. He's missing Jesus' true messiahship. And he is missing Jesus' divine sonship. The word was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Darkness. Really, Nicodemus is kind of challenging Jesus here, isn't he? We know that you're a great teacher from God, right? Right? Is that who you are? We are the credentials committee, and we are ready to confer some credentials on you if you meet our criteria. You clearly seem ready for our blessing. But Jesus is unimpressed with Nicodemus. He doesn't seek Nicodemus's blessing or his credentials. Instead, he blows right past Nick's opening statement and goes right to the heart of things. Look at verse 3. Keegan really punched it when he read it. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Do these things follow? Like Nicodemus says this, and Jesus answers with that? Jesus doesn't even respond to Nicodemus' attempt at flattery. He goes right for his heart. 
I have two points to hang this morning's teaching on, and we've reached the first one. It can be summed up with the words, no one. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. That's a statement of fact and a fact of life. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. No one. Not Nicodemus with all of his fancy credentials. Not Pastor Matt with all of his titles and degrees. Not fill in the blank with someone you might think might have achieved what it takes to enter the kingdom of God by some other means. Who's the most likely person you can think of to get into the kingdom of God? You've got a person that jumps right into your head. They cannot get into the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Not anyone in this room, not anyone in any room. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Kingdom of God. Remember that the kingdom of God is Jesus' favorite subject to teach upon. How many times did we talk about that when we read through the Gospel of Matthew in 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020? Jesus loved to teach about the upside down, inside out, already but not yet kingdom of God. We long for that kingdom to come. We pray for it, right? Your kingdom come. And King Jesus is going to bring it. He's the king of the kingdom. But no one, but no one gets to see this kingdom unless they're born again. Born again. What does that mean? The Greek words are genethe, to be born, anothen, once more. Or that word anothen could also be translated from above. And it's translated that way, from above, many times in the Gospel of John. Born from above. Born once again. I think that Jesus, which one do you think Jesus means? My guess is both. Jesus is kind of a both-and kind of guy, isn't he? I think it's both, but Nicodemus only fixates on one of them. Verse 4. How? How can a man be born when he's old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Nicodemus doesn't get it. But I think he might be just playing dumb, right? Not plain dumb, playing dumb, right? He's being obtuse. Kind of mocks Jesus, doesn't he? I think there's some darkness here. Surely we can't crawl back into our mommy's tummies, right? What a weird and silly idea. <laughs> As if. Jesus answers Nick's confusion with a bold restatement of the facts of life. Verse 5. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. No one gets into the kingdom any other way. Now clearly, being born of water and the Spirit is just another way of saying born again, right? He's just repeating himself. He's A lot of Bible scholars have come up with a lot of ways of interpreting that phrase, born of water. 
Why is that? Why does Jesus add that here? Many have assumed that it was about baptism. And that's possible since John had been baptizing for repentance and that might have been tied into a new way of living. But this is before Christian baptism. I just don't think that Jesus was saying that you have to be baptized to be born again. That's not how the rest of the Bible reads. I think it's more likely that the water is natural birth and the spirit is spiritual birth. So he's saying you have to be born twice. Once through the amniotic water And then secondly, from above, from heaven, by the Spirit. I think that's much more likely. But here's a third way to think about it. Born of water as a symbol of cleansing. Here's a passage of Scripture that Nicodemus should have known from his study of the Old Testament. Okay, professor, how about Ezekiel 36, 25 through 27? Listen to this promise to Israel of restoration after the exile. I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Does that sound familiar? It sounds like the promises of the new covenant to me. Like we learned about in the book of hope and the prophecy of Jeremiah last Christmas. And it sounds to me a lot like Jesus in John chapter 3. Cleansing of water and a new spirit inside of God's people so they now obey not just on the outside but from the heart. That sounds to me a lot like being born again. Nicodemus should have known about that. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now notice that that is not something that you and I can do for ourselves. Kind of sounds like a command, right? You must be born again. Can you make that happen? Okay, let's do it. I can't do it. Is there anybody here who can regenerate your heart? Bring new spiritual life into your soul? Just like you can't go back into your mother's womb physically, you can't somehow give your sinful heart a new spiritual beginning. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. This is God's work, not ours. Just like we saw in chapter 1, back in the prologue. Verses 12 and 13, to all who received Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How? Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. It sounds like a command, right? You must be born again, but it's not a command. It's a condition. If you are not born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. But you can't do it yourself. The Spirit has to do it in you. We don't have control. We don't even know how He does it. It's mysterious. It's like the wind. Look at verse 8. 
The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now, there's a big play on words there. The word for wind is the same word as spirit. It's pneuma. It's also the word for breath. (laughs) Just like we're saying, breathe on me, breath of God. Spirit, fill me. So this wind here is supposed to make me think of the Spirit, the wind of God. You know, in my mind's eye, and it doesn't say this, okay, but in my mind's eye, at this moment in the story, the door of the house in there, bang shut, and the wind howls through the window. Jesus is talking about the wind. The wind is mysterious, isn't it? Anybody here control the wind? Do you know where it's coming from and where it's going? We like to think we do, but we don't. But you can sure tell where it's been, right? You see the effects of the wind. You you hear the sound of the wind. You see how the wind changed things, like after a windstorm. One time I slept through a tornado. We were, uh, I was a student at Trinity, and we were living in Zion, Illinois, and we got up in the middle of the night and looked out, and the sky was all, like, green, and there were, uh, uh, on top of a roof, there's the shingles, that's it. The shingles are, are coming off of the building across the, the street and flying off, and I'm like, yeah, it's windy tonight, and I go back to sleep, and the next day, uh, one of the guys from the church calls and he says, hey, we're going to do some cleanup around town if you want to come. And I'm like, oh, no, I got to study. I had no idea that a tornado had come through town, ripped off the roof of a building just a few blocks away from us, slept through the whole thing. But I could see the effects of the wind when we tried to get around town and the roads were blocked. Jesus says that's how it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. You can tell that the Spirit has been through them, in them. You can tell that the Spirit has given them a new birth inside of them by the results. Which reminds me of another passage in Ezekiel. The one in the next chapter, chapter 37 of Ezekiel, when the Lord tells him to talk to the wind and breathe new life into the dead bones. Remember that? The, dead, the valley of dead bones. It's a vision God gives to Ezekiel. And then he says this. Chapter 37, verses 9 and 10. He he, he said to me, Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood upon their feet, a vast army. That'd make quite a movie, wouldn't it? That's a picture in a vision of the Spirit bringing new life where there was no life. And unless the Spirit blows, there will only be death. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. I think it's interesting that Jesus says that Nicodemus should not be surprised at his saying, you must be born again. Because Nicodemus is very surprised at this. He can't get over it. How can this be? 
So where did Nicodemus go wrong? How did he miss this? Well, he probably went wrong in the same place that most people go wrong when you ask them, what is the condition for going to heaven? What does it take to see the kingdom of God? What do most people think? Be a good person, right? Follow the rules. And then you get in. Maybe it's doing more good things than bad things, but you got to follow the rules. Who do you think deserves to be in the kingdom of God? What's the rule followers, right? The folks that took those Ten Commandments seriously. They're not the Ten Suggestions. The folks that get their lives cleaned up. The folks that went to church. The folks that were fine, upstanding citizens. The folks that gave their money. The folks that jumped through all the hoops. The folks that followed the rules. The folks who were into religion. You know who I'm describing, right? It's the Pharisees. And this guy, Nicodemus, is a prime example of them. He is a Pharisee. He's like, if you looked in the dictionary, Nicodemus' picture would be there next to Pharisee. And if I was left on my own, that's what I would become too. So many times I've been a rule-following, religion-doing Pharisee. But that's not the condition that Jesus talks about here. Our Lord says that no one, no matter whether they've followed the rules all their lives or not, will see the kingdom of God unless they're born again on the inside. And Nicodemus should have apparently known this, and so should we. Nicodemus should have known it from his Old Testament. The necessity of a new heart is all over it. The necessity of a new birth is all over it. Read Ezekiel. And Nicodemus should have known it from his own heart, how he desperately needed a new one. Do you know that you need a new heart? Do you know that you need to be born again? Born of water and of the Spirit. No one, but no one, gets in unless they are. In verse 9, Nicodemus responds with one last question. He's still confused. He's still pushing back. He still doesn't get it. He's still in the darkness. Verse 9, how can this be? Nicodemus asked. At least he's honest. He doesn't just go, oh yes, deep teaching. Yes, thank you. He goes, what? He wants to know if his rule following isn't enough, then what will be? How can this be? And that's the last thing Nicodemus says in this story. We'll hear from again, him again in chapter 7, and then at the end of the book in chapter 19. But Nicodemus falls silent here. He no longer tries to argue with Jesus. He no longer tries to butter him up. He doesn't even push back. He just listens. Verse 10. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Ooh. He doesn't go easy on Nicodemus, does he? He pushes back against the darkness with the light. 
He's frustrated that Israel's teachers aren't teaching the new birth from the Old Testament. And he's disappointed that they aren't receiving his divine teaching either. You talk, Nicodemus, about how we know that I'm a rabbi who's come from God. But I actually have come from God. So we know what we are talking about. And you are not receiving what I'm teaching about earthly things like wind, water, and birth. And the necessity of the new birth for seeing the kingdom. How are you going to graduate to the next level when I start talking about what living in the kingdom is actually going to be like when it comes? You talk about credentials and qualifications. Well, let me tell you mine, Jesus says. Verse 13, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. That's him. He says, I've actually been there. Heaven is my home. I've just come from there, and I'm going to return there. I know what I'm talking about. So so let me answer your question about how this can all be. I'm going to make it all possible by going up onto the cross. Look at verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert... So the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. That's point number two this morning, summed up in one word. Everyone. Everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. No one sees the kingdom unless they're born again, but everyone who believes in Jesus will have eternal life. Now, This is the only time, the one and only time, that you and I are allowed to say that Jesus is like a snake. That snake like Jesus. But that's exactly what Jesus says about himself. He's like a snake. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. What is he talking about? Snakes, deserts? Where does this come from? Hey, snack and yak kids. That's everybody kind of grades three through seven that is in here listening to this. You might, you're invited back to my office after church today. You might want to draw a picture now of a snake on a pole. Not snakes on a plane, right? But snake on a pole, okay? And take that back and show that to Mr. and Mrs. Crumrine. It comes from Numbers chapter 21. It's a short story. I'll read it to you. The people of Israel traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Now they're complaining here about manna. Gift of God, and they're impatient and they're complaining, they're grumbling. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them they bit the people and many israelites died the people came to moses and said we sinned when we spoke against the lord and against you pray that the lord will take the snakes away from us so moses prayed for the people and the lord said to moses make a snake and put it up on a pole anyone who is bitten can look at it and live So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. What a fascinating story. God told Moses to make a fake snake. 
and put it up on a stick, and if you looked at it in faith, then you were saved from your snake bite. Everybody was rebelling. Everybody deserved death by snake bite. But God was merciful and provided a way out, a way of salvation. Lift it up. Now, the snake was the symbol of sin, right? The original snake in the garden. And what, and this is, they just came, had come out of Egypt. What was the headdress for the Pharaoh? Great big snake on his head, right? The snake was a symbol of darkness. But the snake was impaled on the pole and lifted up. And if you looked, you lived. And Jesus says, in that way, and in only that way, he was going to be like that snake. He's predicting his own sacrificial death on the cross. He's going to be a fake snake, taking his people's sins and being lifted up. That lifted up is also a double meaning. Jesus loves his double meanings, right? Being lifted up meaning born again, or or like being born again or born from above. This is lifted up in crucifixion, but also in glorification. He's not just killed on a pole, but exalted and enthroned as he does. That's how Nicodemus, that's how this could be. That's where the new birth will come from. The Bible says God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Do you believe that? If you look to him, then you will live. Now you and I can't make ourselves born again. That's the mysterious work of the Spirit of God. But by God's grace, we can look to Jesus and live. We can believe. And everyone, everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. That's a statement of fact and a fact of life. That's the whole point of this gospel, right? John wrote this book that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The Bible says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. And you know what the next verse is, right? Which we'll look at more closely next time. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Look and live. Look and live. Look and live. Nicodemus may have come in the darkness, but on that night he was exposed to the light. Look and live.